How's it going, everybody, and welcome to episode 149 of Master My Garden podcast. Now, this week's episode, we're going back, I suppose, a little bit to the theme of horticultural education. And I'm joined this week by Connor Golov, who's Senior Horticultural Advisor with CAFRA. So that's essentially the horticultural arm of uh, the Department of Agriculture in Northern Ireland. And Connor has, I suppose, he's been doing some interesting work on the education side. And he's been doing investigations into certain, I suppose, topical things that we see at the moment. For example, peat-free. And he's been, as I say, looking at peat-free composts and how plants grow within them. And he's also looking at LED grow lights and the impact that they have on, on plants. So there's some interesting things to talk about. Obviously, we've, we've covered horticultural education before, but it's good to have, I suppose, a, a different voice and a voice from Northern Ireland on this. So, Connor, you're very, very welcome to Master My Garden podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John. Much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we we spoke a, we spoke a little bit a couple of months back, and I know since we last spoke, you you've climbed Kilimanjaro. So, congratulations on that one. Um, Thank you very much. I know you're into your hiking and and climbing, but that must have been a a big a big uh, a big sense of achievement, I guess, doing that. Yeah, it was an incredible experience, and yeah, loved every second of it. Yeah, and I'd highly recommend uh, somebody to do it. I wouldn't do it again, but definitely would recommend doing it. Uh, just out of interest, you wouldn't do it again because it was so tough, or you wouldn't do it again because you've done it and seen it. A uh, bit of both. Bit of both. <laughs> I think no one what's what I know. I think no one what's ahead of you. Yeah, uh, would be tough to overcome. Uh, okay, but I've kind of done and seen it now. I'm like, yeah, it's ticked off the bucket list. Nice one. So you're going higher then the next time. Uh, that would be the plan if I can get the funds together. <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, yeah, great stuff. So, um, firstly, just by way of introduction, you're senior horticultural advisor, but maybe give us a little bit of your sort of horticultural background. Um, I know you're you're quite a young horticulturist uh, as such, but you're senior horticultural advisor now, so you have quite an important role within the Department of Agriculture in Northern Ireland. So maybe just tell us a little bit about your horticultural background and your your role as it is today yeah um so i started in horticulture from a very young age i grew up in a family-run business a tree nursery and garden center in donegal and that's where my passion and interest really kick started in a career in horticulture i've um, been surrounded by uh, trees and plants and flowers uh, grandparents were a forester and a florist uh, right. i spent a lot of time with them and got a lot of inspiration aspirations from them and that's where i really fell in love with it uh, from there, then I decided that I wanted to go and study it uh, and went to UCD to do the honours degree in horticulture there and spent four years studying there. Uh, great course, thoroughly enjoyed it uh, and met some great people along the way as well. And we're still in contact to this day as well. So it's great to have those people in the industry that you can reach out to and get help from. And from, from UCD, I worked in Chagas and Kildotton College as a nursery technician and really honed my skills in, in nursery production. Uh, by managing the commercial nursery down there and also educating students and working with them on, on the more practical elements of nursery production. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed that role. And then came back home for a few months to Donegal and helped my dad out with a few ideas that we were running at the time in the nursery. And then decided to venture off again and headed over to Westland uh, Horticulture in, in England to work on their grow media facilities as their assistant technical manager. Uh, and that really got me kick-started on, on the topic we're going to be talking about today on, on peat and peat-free growing medias and really got me to kind of 
hone in that side of it and get some really good skill sets and knowledge across the board. Um, and then I came back from that thereafter after COVID uh, and was back home and decided to take up the job here in, in, in Deira and in Caffrey, uh, starting out as their horticulture advisor and ornamentals and cut foliage, and then recently been uh, temporarily promoted into the senior horticulture advisor role. Wow, that's uh, it. So that- you, you've packed quite a bit in in you know in a, in, a, in a small number of years as such. Um, I didn't realize actually you had been in Kildalton, so I I was aware of your other roles, but I wasn't aware of the of the Kildalton connection there. Yeah, yeah, I spent two years in Kildalton, uh, and yeah, it was a great great experience. Great to. Uh, kind of inspire and encourage young horticulturists coming into the industry for the first time and really seeing them kind of grasp what horticulture was all about and really start to fall in love with it. Yeah. Um, to to talk about your current role, so Senior Horticultural Advisor, tell us what the sort of day-to-day role is and then we'll get into the the sort of the main topics that we were going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So I'm responsible for the horticulture advisory team here in Caffrey in Northern Ireland. Uh, and what we do is we cover all the commercial horticulture sectors. Uh, so that's top fruit, soft fruit, uh, cut foliage and flowers, uh, edibles. Uh, so that's vegetables, protected vegetables and field vegetables and ornamentals. Uh, so currently we have a team of two advisors along with myself. Uh, my area speciality is ornamentals and cut foliage and flowers. And our, our, our role today today is to offer advice and to support to commercial growers and those sectors to deliver knowledge transfer through the projects, which we'll be discussing later on, yeah. and also to organize events. Uh, so bringing industry experts and leaders in to deliver the current trends and updates within the horticulture industry. And what trends and trends and updates are you seeing coming through at the moment? Obviously, there's a, you know, there's a, a big and I suppose the move towards integrated pest management is is gathering is gathering pace and it's moving across to that in a, in a bigger way. Um, yeah. What else are you seeing? Obviously, there's challenges around growing media, fairly major challenges around grow, growing media. Um, what what else are you seeing coming through? I think overall umbrellas is sustainability. So looking at how we can make the industry more sustainable. And as you mentioned, through the use of IPM strategies, growing medias, uh, your packaging as well, water usage. And the current issue and trend at the moment is energy usage, mm-hmm. with the rise of electricity uh, and oils and all that there having a, a major impact on, on protected edible crops uh, yeah. here in Ireland and across the continent as well. Um, and recruitment is another key trend and issue at the moment and getting the right people into the right roles within horticulture. Um, yeah, there, there's plenty to be to be challenged and to be discussed. So, yeah, for sure. And I, I've seen recently in the last in the last week or two, uh, quite a few of Dutch large scale Dutch producers of protected crops. And when we say protected crops, you're talking about tomatoes, peppers, and all that sort of thing. And some of them have have actually decided to cease production, which is, you know, because of of rising energy costs. And obviously, it takes quite a bit to heat uh, these large scale glass houses to produce peppers and whatever else but it's yeah. uh, it, it it's definitely must be a, like it is a challenging time for growers because certainly up this neck of the woods you know you can't you can't grow the, some of those crops without a heat input 
And uh, yeah, like I'd imagine that that is 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 a big challenge currently. Yeah, that that's a major challenge, and, and when you're dealing with those kind of crops, too, you're working with fine margins. Mm-hmm. So any 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 difference in, in input costs at all have have a severe impact across the board on producing those crops. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the things we we were going to talk about, and you've done some sort of investigations, and you've been doing some growing within the different you know, peat medias and obviously the horticultural industry within the island of Ireland got a big shock sort of two years ago when, you know, peat and, and the use of peat sort of came to a relatively sudden end. Now I know it's not fully phased out yet, but it's certainly getting close. Um, and I think the biggest challenge at that time was the fact that there wasn't really a suitable media available in the quantities that was proven to be as effective as, as peat media. And I think everybody long-term would, would say that, yes, we probably should be going peat-free, but I think it was how quickly that whole that whole process came from, well, it essentially came out of nowhere and it caught the industry by, it caught the industry by surprise, I guess, in a way. And I know there is big work going on behind the scenes on, on peat free products where where's that at now and how are you seeing that coming through yeah so i think the the key thing to remember is that we're not going to be able to find a like for like replacement for peat yeah um because it is such a great growing medium for for plant production in regards to its ability to hold moisture nutrients uh and the ph of it as well uh, and it's very hard to find a medium that would be the same or have the same capabilities. Uh, and what's going to happen is that there's going to be a number of different alternative uh, substrates that we put into a medium uh, to to for it to grow plants in. And I think the big issue and challenges with that there is is the, is the differences in those uh, substrates and the impact it has on on the on the media overall. And it's about getting growers confident uh, and growers informed of those changes and how they can uh, change their management system to deal with those. And that's what we're trying to do here here in Caffrey is to do demonstration works to show the growers that this is one of the challenges and this is how you can overcome those challenges. And what kind of, so we're talking about mixing. So peat essentially was the grown media. Uh, of choice previously and now what we're looking at is we're looking at a growing media which has a number of components and i've seen you know some some uh, plants that are coming in from the continent you know coming in from holland italy and they seem to have a really high percentage of wood chip in it and i'm not sure that the growers are loving the you know how they're how they're growing within that what mixes are you have you seen what's the ones that are doing really well standing out um or what ones are, are are flopping and i suppose there is always you know peat has been has been phased out for i suppose a good reason and in a lot of cases certainly on the retail horticultural side i see not so much in ireland but certainly in the uk a lot of you know gardening personalities saying that people should be using coir for example as a replacement for peat and in my eyes that's totally ridiculous because coir is totally for, from from this part of the world it's a very un environmentally friendly product um takes a lot of water to to get it into a situation where you can actually grow in it and so to be saying 
stop using peat for environmental reasons and switch to coir, I think that's ridiculous. And I think people need to sort of look at, you know, a better type mix and, and combination. So what, what kind of combinations and mixes are you guys seeing and what ones are working well? Yeah, so I think the challenge is to find something that is sustainable uh, across the board. And that is one of the, the, the issues that has been raised on a number of occasions, as you mentioned, with the coir, which is a, a coconut uh, fiber uh, or comes off the husks. And that, that tends to be the favorite at the moment in regards to being used in, in peat-free or peat-reduced mixes because of its likeliness to uh, peat as a grow medium. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very similar in regards to its compensation and works quite well in, in the mixes, uh, as similar to peat. Um, but as you mentioned, there is, is challenges around that in regards to where it's sourced. Um, because unfortunately we can't grow coconuts here in Ireland. So <laughs> it tends to be brought in from, from the like the Thailand and, and there is a like that there. Um, the other, other substrates or other alternatives that are being used a lot is wood fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been used in the mix for a number of years uh, but again there's challenges around that again sourcing can be an issue um, but again it's it's its ability to integrate well into a medium has proven challenging to growers uh, the issue with wood fiber is that it's, it's very much a, a live a yeah. live substrate uh, and it's still breaking down yeah. within the, the grow media so that means it's taking up nitrogen as a food source and that means it's depleting the plant of nitrogen which then the grower has to either feed the plant more or balance out the, the media with something else and as you mentioned as well wood chipper is another uh, strong favorite but similar to the wood fiber it has those issues in regards being a live substrate and will fix nitrogen which reduces and results in a nitrogen loss yeah so what mixes are you currently seeing that are working well? And I know you've done, you've grown in different media to try and, you know, have a look and see how, how the different plants interact with, with these mixes. And, you know, tell us a little bit about that, that kind of work. Yeah. So that, well, this spring we ran a project to demonstrate to growers how it braces perennial production and peat free uh, grow media in comparison to peat. And it was purely just to get growers thinking and give build growers confidence that it is possible uh, and that it can be done and that there will be no severe impact on, on their crop production as well. And we were able to see good results from that. Uh, and the peat-free uh, mix that is being used professionally is a combination of wood fiber, wood chip and coir. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's broken down in different components depending on, on the supplier. But those are the three main ones. Yeah, um, and that actually feels like I, I I know that mix that you're talking about, um, or variations of it, and it, it feels like a, a really nice mix. You you would know that plants would like it and would grow well in it. Um, yeah, assuming assuming all pH and everything like that is is as it should be. It's a it's a nice it's a nice mix. Um, by comparison to some of the, I suppose the original peat freeze that came out a number of years ago, they like they were some of those were horrible products. They were really really heavy, dense, uh, and in a lot of cases, plants stagnated in them. Um, but I don't think that's going to be the case going forward. No, no, I think there, there's definitely better combinations there now. And yeah, I'm aware of the mixes that you, you've been mentioned there. 
they were quite heavy and very hard to handle. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah, it's getting those fixed. Um, and from the project, we were able to see some of the, the issues highlighted, and we're able to kind of tweak the system and provide the growers with information. Like, so one of the key challenges that we faced with the project was irrigation levels. Uh, peat-free mixes don't hold on to the moisture as well, mm-hmm. so they require more watering, um, which then unfortunately leads to nutrient deficiencies because you're washing out nutrients yep. as well. So you have to add more more fertilizer at the start to ensure that that balance is is there. Um, yeah, and what and water, you know, as a resource, I know it's fallen from the sky, and particularly it's fallen from the sky over the last few weeks here in 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 heavy amounts. But it it is a resort that's quite precious on nurseries at certain times of the year as well. So, um, the fact that you're having to apply a lot more is a disadvantage over sort of peat. But no matter what way it goes, peat is going to be gone. Like, what's the time frame now for peat being completely phased out? Uh, from our side of the house, I, I, from my understanding, it's going to be 2024 for retail products yeah. in the UK. Um, and then at a later date, then 2028 or 2030 for professional use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there might be some minor exemptions there for certain plant production systems like propagation or irrigation mixes. Okay. Um, but so we, the, it, it's going to come down the line eventually. Yeah. Um, and it's just being prepared for that and taking the steps. And the actions towards understanding what what that means for our grower and building a grower's confidence to moving towards those systems. Mm-hmm. I think like there's no question it's, it's going to happen and it's going to happen relatively quickly. Um, and I think that the likes of the work that you're doing now is is certain there. I suppose, as you said, building the confidence within the industry that uh, people can switch to it. A lot of my listeners are coming at it from, I suppose, coming at it from a, a retail gardener side. And they would experience similar issues. A lot of them have the desire, and I'd say more so than, you know, the, the, the nurserymen are dependent on peat or have been dependent on peat for a long time. The retail gardener only needs small amounts of it uh, for a limited number of jobs. And it's not critical. It's not critical work per se, but they, there is a desire, uh, quite a strong desire among retail gardeners to go peat free and I say up until now, some of the products have been underwhelming, particularly when it comes to sowing seeds and things like that. So, um, but it's good to know that in the background, all this stuff is happening and eventually you'll have products that will be a hundred percent, you know, fit for purpose. And probably they may not ever be as good as Pete goes in fairness to it for, from the point of view of sowing seed and cuttings and all that sort of thing. The, it's, it's top class. Like it's, you think it was specifically made for that purpose. Um, yeah. but, but they are improving so much, um, and that's great to see. Yeah. I think there's, there's definitely more room to improve, but we're on, on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, it's going to have to happen because, you know, in, as you say, whatever the time period is, it's different in Southern Ireland here. And, but the time frame, regardless of it, it's, it's happening and it's going to happen. So, um, people, yeah, people need to just, start working on the on the on the quality replacements and hopefully then people can just move on without peat because i think long term yeah. i'd say overall people probably agree that you know we shouldn't be using now there's worse things that peat has been used for particularly in southern ireland where it's been burned to create to create electricity and that's for me again totally ridiculous but um in this day and age but yeah 
at the same time, it looks like we're going to have to move away from it anyway, for sure. Yeah. The other work that you've been doing around LED grow lights, that's interesting as well. And I know that, again, on the retail side, LED grow lights are utilized not a huge amount. Certainly in cities, they're used by people a lot for you know, growing herbs and salad leaves inside in their, in their apartments and so on. But on the, you know, on the commercial side, tell us about what's happening on with LED grow lights. I know there's huge advancements, advancements in the actual technology over the last few years. So tell us about that. Yeah, so we've been following the trend in regards to vertical farming uh, and where that's been going here at Caffrey and, and trying to figure out uh, how it works uh, and uh, how it would be a benefit to a grower. Uh, we've been looking at projects with edible crops, predominantly basil and lettuce, and figuring out the system and tweaking some projects in re- regards to that. But the project that I looked at and was most interesting to me as an ornamentals advisor was to see if the system had any benefit for the propagation of bedding plants from seeds in regards to speeding up the cycle and, and creating a more consistent product. Um, as you're aware, <laughs> it's very difficult to get the, the right temperatures and the right amount of light for propagating all year round here, yeah. here in Ireland. Uh, and we were just looked at it to see if we can extend the season by using LED lights and what would be the impact on the, on the, on the crop as well. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting project. And uh, we looked at six different, um, species of bedding plants, uh, pansies, uh, primulas, some colas, and can't remember the other two. <laughs> yeah. And what, <laughs> but yeah, and what, what did you find? Like definitely light levels, light levels are, are one of the challenges here around propagation. So what, what did you find in, in terms of extending the season, having more consistency? What, what were your kind of findings? Uh, I think the most interesting one we found was that it sped up the cycle by between two and three weeks, depending on the species. Well, so we were able to produce uh, a plug plug sized uh, perennial or bedding plant, sorry, uh, in about six weeks' time. So a plug is, is, is a small uh, plant before it's put into a larger pot. Yeah. Um, so that was well, great to find that work. Uh, so that meant that we can grow in more crops in a shorter time frame. And uh, what, and the, um, the, like, that's a serious amount of, of a speed up. Um, and it would give, it would give a lot of consistency in in the production process. What input costs, you know, in terms of running costs, did that did that make? What percentage increase in costs did that make by re- reducing it, it? It it purely came down to volume, um, yeah. and that was the big challenge with these systems in regards to the cost of inputs to growing. Um, these species of bed and plants and the kind of thing that we took away from it is that it is feasible on a volume on a high value crop uh, at okay. the moment because uh, there is a serious difference in the cost uh, and at a smaller uh, uh, volume of plants it wouldn't be feasible at all mm-hmm. um, but again the thing we found as well is that there was a higher germination rate um, you know, we would have been chatting between 85 to 100% across the species in the lights. Yeah. And it could have dropped to 55% in just a glasshouse situation. 
Um, so that's, that was very positive feedback as well from it, that we can achieve a higher germination rate. Yeah, yes, it's a very high germination rate. And so this is going to, long term, this is probably going to work for, as you said, high value crops, which more than likely is going to mean food crops rather than ornamentals, I would assume. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's uh, obviously geared towards the, the food crops, the edible crops. Uh, and that's one of the things we're working on here in CAFRI as well, is identifying those high value food crops that are suitable for the system because it's predominantly at the moment. It's salad leaves that are growing in it. Um, mm-hmm. They wouldn't be classed really as a high value crop. No, no. Um, so we're trying to figure out which of those are, but we have been able to identify potentially some high value ornamentals that could go into the system. But we'd be more looking at likes of the perennials rather than the bedding plants for those systems. Yeah. And, uh, in terms of high value food crops, are we talking about something like potentially microgreens where you have, you know, per, per square meter, you have a higher value output or, or what type of crops do you think you're talking about there? Yeah, microgreens is, is definitely the obvious one. Uh, and we've been doing a lot of work on those and uh, to see again, which, which of those microgreens is best suited for the system. Um, certain herbs as well. Uh, I know basil is, is quite commonly grown. And there's definitely potential there um, as a value-added product rather than just selling fresh uh, basil mm-hmm. uh, has potential there. And I know there's we haven't done work yet, but we're moving towards that is the strawberries. I know there's a lot of work done in England and in America and strawberry production in those systems. So it'd be interesting to see if they're feasible and what are what are the possibilities for that kind of crop as well. Yeah, so you're with strawberries. You're looking at extending the season, either getting crops earlier or extending it late at the at the end of a of a of a growing season. Yeah, yeah, that's that's be the way we'd be going towards it. Yeah, yeah, very interesting, very interesting work. Um, what other what other kind of work and 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 uh, things are you looking at within your within your current role? Is there anything else that you're you're looking at yeah, in a big so way at the moment? Another aspect is the courses we run in Caffrey and Greenmount. Yeah. And we started an honours degree course uh, last year. And so part of that there, the students have a dissertation to, to do. Okay. And my team of advisors have worked with the industry in regards to getting industry-led dissertations so the students can build a connection with the industry and also work on something that's viable and of, of use for them going into the industry at a later stage. So those projects we've been looking at the likes of biostimulants for root mass and development, uh, bricks analysis to identify stress levels within a plant. We've been looking at edible flowers in, in the, in the vertical stacks and under the lights, uh, basil production under the lights as well, uh, sports turf, uh, biostimulants. So there's a whole range of, of, of projects that the students are, are looking at and there'll be some very good information that they can use and get out of it and also apply it to the industry as well. So um, that's quite interesting work. Uh, we will be doing uh, other projects with the, the team as well in the veg side and in the top foot uh, side as well. So, uh, for example, the top foot uh, project we ran this year and quite interesting because we talked about the water usage mm-hmm. was to measure the moisture content in orchards here in Armagh to see if there was any stress levels during the dry, dry periods in the summer. Um, so we use a machine called a tensiometer, which measures the water suction capabilities of the plants in, in the soil. 
uh, and we were able to identify during periods of the summer that the plants would be under stress and the impact that could have on an orchard. Uh, for example, this year, uh, we could identify that there was between three and six weeks uh, of water stress in the orchard, and that could have had an impact on the fruit development and swell at a later stage. It just happened kind of just before the fruit swell and development was to occur, and yep. there was a heavy rainfall just at that point. But if that had carried over to that that development stage of the fruit, then we would have had issues around the quality and, and the size of the fruit. Yeah, that makes sense. And and it was like the rain did come at the right time. And I know it was kind of the same for potatoes. Potatoes were under stress in the country. And then the rain came and lots of it came at kind of the right time to, to fill out the potatoes. And you know, generally, they're saying good crops around the place. And I would imagine that yeah. apples would have been in a similar a similar situation. That that drought period that we're talking about, um, it's it's really weird because we we are, and it varies in the month that we get it and all the rest of it. But we are getting these periods now on quite a regular basis where there's a long, prolonged period of of no rain, um, and definitely, like I've seen large trees which not in year one of a, of a drought or year two for that matter, but over two, three years, they're getting weakened. And I've seen, you know, fully mature trees now, some of them being killed by this long period of drought. And it's, it's, it's not one year that's doing the damage. It's the, it's the recurrence of it every two or three years. Yeah. Um, it's the consequences of the years following. Cause yeah, exactly, what has yeah. happened is the water moisture has been drawn out from the depth of the soil. Yeah. So it has to refill again. So you need prolonged periods of, of a lot of water. Um, you know, you just can't have your normal rainfall occurrence over the year. You need to be able to top that up with extra rainfall, which we're not, yeah. we're not actually really getting. You guys are probably tracking, tracking the weather and the rainfall. But for me, it, it would seem like we're getting a lot more long periods without rain. But then when the rain is coming, it's it's fallen in in sort of heavier drops like we've just seen in the last couple of weeks here. Um, yeah. Is that what you guys are seeing as well? Yeah, that'd be very similar to what we're, we're seeing with and dealing with. And yeah. the problem is that the ground is so dry then that the water can't penetrate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, only can penetrate a certain level of it as well. So yeah, definitely so for, some challenges around that. Yeah, for sure. And, and for that orchard, and, and like obviously Armagh is a big county for orchards. Um, if, if, for example, this is becoming a recurring, recurring, uh, problem or potential issue and okay, the timing came right, the rain came at the right time and, and it ended up not being an issue this year. But if it didn't and crop was affected, uh, fruit swell was affected, how, how do you combat that? Now, I know obviously you can irrigate, but it's not easy to irrigate an orchard and the levels of water required to do that would be phenomenally high. So what other ways is there to combat, you know, sort of periods of drought? Are we talking about mulching around trees? Are we talking about ground cover around the trees or what's? Yeah, so that project, we're going to reestablish it next year to get some more data and really analyze what we're getting out of it. So we can apply some of those measures you're discussing uh, at a later stage, like so the mulching. Uh, we're looking at wildflower strips as well yeah. to see if that would work to hold in some moisture. But reality is that it'll probably follow an irrigation program at some stage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because that's what's been done in, in England and orchards in England and the likes of Kent and those okay. areas which would suffer from a, a lot of dry spells and drought they would have irrigation lines in place and yeah that would be from the day one from the orchard they've been a drip system right that they can irrigate the orchard as well as putting fertilizers through the, the irrigation lines and feeding it yeah brilliant um to talk about your your family nursery and you said your 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 granddad was a nursery man your grandmother was a florist i think you said um family business is still going up in donegal yeah we're still going um, good we're going through some changes uh, I think one of the big challenges and one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not currently there is that it has been earmarked for a bypass within the next two or three years. So All right. um, we're wait, waiting for further confirmation on that Okay. Uh, and getting, yeah, that has had a, a bit of an impact on the business, but we're still operating and still producing uh, trees and ornamental hedging is, is predominantly our main market. Um, the nursery was originally set up by my grandfather uh, as a forestry advisor. He set it up as a forestry nursery. And then my dad took it over in the early, early, early to mid nineties and he moved it over to native trees and hedging, like Brilliant. your hawthorns uh, and native tree plantation for your agriculture schemes. And kind of changed now in the last five years into more your own ornamental hedging, your laurels and grisolanias and the likes of that there for your housing development and things like that. Yeah. And what's the name of the nursery? Uh, Gallinus Finvalley Nurseries. Brilliant. So um, we're we're getting towards the end. It's been really really interesting. It's interesting to see you know what's going on behind the scenes and what is going to come true in, I suppose in peat free and LED and all that sort of thing and and the work that you're doing up there. Um, tell people where they can find you. I know you're quite active on the likes of LinkedIn, and you'll see you know any of these projects that Connor's working on, or if there's anything interesting, you, you're quite regularly posting about about it on LinkedIn. So maybe tell people when, where they can find you. Yeah, predominantly be on LinkedIn at the moment. So Connor Gallion on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I post a good bit on Instagram too, and that's Connor Gallion as well. So you'll be able to see more about my hiking adventures probably on Instagram, but more <laughs> of my professional stuff on LinkedIn. So we'll see which mountain you're heading for next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Connor, it's been a really interesting chat. Um, we covered lots. And as, as I say, it's good to know what's going on behind the scenes, you know, in professional horticulture. A lot of, a lot of the listeners are, you know, amateur gardeners, but all of this is relevant for them and will be relevant for them going into the future. So, uh, as I say, a really interesting chat. And thank you very, very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. So that's been this week's episode. Uh, huge thanks to Connor for coming on. Yeah lots of stuff going on and peat free and still lots of uncertainty among growers and you know for retail gardeners we still we're getting close to having solutions for peat free and ones that people will be happy with and happy to grow with um so it's interesting to see all that going on behind the scenes and you know with it without a doubt over the next few years it will be fully peat free uh, because that's the way it's going to have to go so it'll be interesting to see how these different you know growing medias develop over the next few years and what mixes will come true to eventually uh, phase out peak completely but uh, as i say for the retail gardener there is some very good products coming on stream and yeah i think if anyone wants to now at this stage they can you know garden at a retail level garden peak free quite comfortably with the quality of products that's starting to come true
So yeah, that's pretty much this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And until the next time, happy gardening. <music>